Welcome to Soda Pop Chronicles. I am your host, Megan Bellflower. I am a historical fiction writer. And today, ladies and gentlemen, focus your audio so you can have your claws sharp when it comes to the deep, mellow breath of the wind, fire, rain, the enigma of all things art. I am not a poet. I'm definitely not a slam poet. Um, I mean, I've dabbled in poetry. I'm a prose writer. Um, (laughs) But today, uh, we are going to be talking about the beat generation. Or all you crazy cats out there might know it as the beatnik. And actually, the beatnik, or the beat generation, uh, is not exactly what people always think that it is. It's actually a lot different. And we have people called hipsters today that dress in thrift store clothing and, you know, wear old vintage shoes and thick-rimmed glasses. But these guys, these guys were not the giant movement that we have today. In fact, one article, and I wish I remembered where it was from, but I think described the Beat Generation in the best way possible. They said today's generation of hipsters was like Woodstock, because there were so many people involved, but the Beats the people involved in the beat generation, they were like a small, cozy alcove in a, in a jazz bar late at 2 a.m. That's how small this was. I talked about it in my last episode, which was on suburban culture and the move to the suburbs. And what I mentioned in the last podcast was that this culture of the suburban neighborhood was very, it was socially conservative. It was all about uniformity. It was about conformity. And you wanted to blend in. You did not want to be different. You know, as, as the Beats might say, they were squares. They were average people. And uh, the Beats didn't want to have any part of that. And basically, they saw that all Americans, they wore, they even wore similar clothing. They had the same haircuts. They did the same activities and did the same thing day after day. This was the whole time period of leave it to beaver and father knows best. If you think about those TV shows, this was the typical suburban family, the uh, majority of people living in the 1950s. But the beat generation was all against this. And they started in the 1950s and they wanted to reject the social norms of the day. And I guess you could think of them like 
these bohemian intellectuals. Most of them were writers or musicians. And I guess, what is the beat generation? What does that exactly mean? Basically, it means a group of people, writers in particular, between the 40s and the 60s, who, they, who didn't share like a common like writing style, but instead they were a group of people that had common interests, beliefs, ideas, aims. Uh, they had a very similar culture. They were artistic. They were abstract. They were very, very hard to, to understand. They were called hippies later on, which is a totally different thing. But basically in, in 1944, there were three writers who attended uh, Columbia University in New York City. In 1944, the three original beat writers were Jack Kerouac, Allen Ginsberg, and William S. Burroughs. And they became friends while they were at Columbia. And they all shared a same vision. And they wanted to create this new type of literature where people were able to write the way they thought and the way that they spoke. They wanted to leave the confines of the academic world and write about feeling and write with emotion. And even, it's very interesting, uh, Jack, when he wrote, and I saw this in an interview and it was very interesting, he basically wrote without stopping. He wrote so fast. He was on his typewriter and he would write so quickly that he couldn't just use your regular uh, eight and a half by 11 uh, white like paper. He had to use these long rolls of paper because he just kept writing and writing and didn't stop. He just wanted it to flow the way he thought it and the way he spoke it. And so this was the whole change. They wanted this shift in the literary world to be more like this, to be more creative and artistic. The term beat generation was coined in 1948 when Jack and another writer named uh, John uh, Cleland Holmes, they were talking and Jack talked about his group and this new generation of artists and said that they were beat, that they were worn down, they were weary. And I guess what they were weary of was the normal day-to-day dry sort of life that they thought was wearing down uh, Americans and was numbing them down, I guess. I'm not exactly sure. Uh, maybe it could even have implications of after World War II, people were beat and they were worn down and they were needed an outlet. I'm not exactly sure. But this group of writers, 
They, they struggled for a long time to get published. But they stayed together and they gave each other hope and they shared each other's writing because they felt like their writing would never be understood and so they could understand each other. But I guess when they got famous, um, what caused them to get famous, I mean, is um, they had a poetry reading at a place called the Six Gallery in San Francisco. And I'm guessing this is when they got up and read some of their poetry and usually they would read their poetry with music, some kind of jazz music or piano background. The Mill Valley trees, the pines with green mint look, and there's a tangled eucalyptus hulk stick fallen through the late sunlight tangle of those needles hanging from it like a live wire connecting it to the ground. Just below, the notches where little Fred sought to fell the sad pine, not bleeding much, just a lot of crystal sap the ants are mining in, motionless like cows on the grass. And so they must be aphids, percolating up the steam, the store provender in their bottomless bellies that for all I know are bigger than the bellies of the universe beyond. The little tragic windy cottages on the high last city-ward hill, and today roosting in sun-hot dream above the tree-head of seas and meadow patch, whilst tee-key-key key pearl the birdies and mommums mark and ululate moodily in this valley of peaceful firewood in stacks that make you think of Oregon in the morning in 1928, when Back was home on the range lake and his hunting knife threw away and went to sit... And this is when people really started to enjoy this new type of writing. This is the, one of the first times people were really into it and were really exposed to it. And it wasn't just all about writing. There were people that were a part of the Beat Generation who uh, weren't even, even writers. This group of people, these Beats, uh, they were also interested in art. They were heavy with drugs. Uh, they didn't believe in sexuality, I guess the way that the common people did at the time. They had differences of spirituality and all of their lifestyles in general like were different. And they were very interested, I guess, in like finding uh, greater meaning in life than just like the I guess the day-to-day -day, let's go to work nine to five uh, come back play with the kids put the kids to bed whatever they were basically I guess a rebellion against the status quo and they were exploring I guess like self-expression and uh, I'm not saying at all that I you know endorse what they did because they you know, were involved in drugs and things like that. But it, I guess in some ways you could think about this movement may have helped other writers and artists uh, with their own expression. Uh, but at the same time, you know, they didn't, I don't think they demeaned the, the, the general population. I just don't think that they wanted to be a part of it. I'm not sure. 
but Jack Kerouac, he wrote a book called On the Road, and it was published in 1957, and it was all about his misadventures and his chronicles of his travels across America, and people kind of look at it as a guide to 1950s uh, counterculture, and it was a bestseller, and it remains a, a classic and remember back when I told you he wrote very quickly, he wrote this book in three weeks. I saw that in an interview that he had on a TV show back in the 50s. The interviewer asked him, how long were you on the road? And he said, seven years. And then he said, how long did it take you to, to write the book? And he said, three weeks. And then the interview laughs and says, he says, well, I was on the road for three weeks once, and it took me seven years to write about it, <laughs> which makes me laugh, because as a writer myself, I'm a very slow writer. I'm not like Jack. I, I write very uh, methodically, <laughs> so I, I totally understand that. Uh, basically, the beat movement was centered in a city called Greenwich Village, New York, but then it began to spread to other urban areas in the United States. It, its primary focus was, and its population, was in the urban setting. I don't think there were probably any beats that were in suburbia. I don't know about that. Um, but they were all in the city. They lived and did their art and their writing in the city. Now... Here comes the interesting part about all of this. So we hear the term beatnik a lot, and we think of those people that have like the mustaches and they wear the the little hats and the the I guess the black turtleneck sweaters and they got the bongos in their laps and their saying these weird things like what I was saying at the beginning or trying to say at the beginning. Um, uh, <laughs> we're just going to pretend that didn't happen. But, um, <laughs> but you know, that's what people now associate with the beat generation. They th think that these people were all called beatniks. But the Beat Generation writers were not beatniks. They did not wear the sweaters and the hats and had played the bongos. They didn't do that. In fact, it was a actually a derogatory term, an image, that ended up later becoming associated with them. Uh, the word beatnik was first said in the San Francisco Chronicle in 1958. And it was, it was, the word was invented by uh, Herb Kayen. I think that's how you pronounce his name. And basically what he did was he took the term beat from beat generation and he put that as the prefix and then he looked 
at the satellite Sputnik, which was the Russian satellite that went to space. I believe that was the first satellite in space during the space race. And so Sputnik has that nick at the end, the suffix, the Russian suffix. And so he put beat and nick together. And basically this was a way he was calling the beat generation, he was calling them communist. And it's funny because later, I can't remember if it was Allen Ginsberg or if it was Jack Kerouac, but one of them said, I'm not a communist, I'm a Catholic or something like that, which, which I thought was funny. Um, but anyway, so he took this Russian suffix and put it on the end of, of beat and called them all beatniks, which I guess is almost like saying, you're a dirty hobo today, I guess, or dirty communist hobo, I don't know. <laughs> and so what ended up happening was once the media kind of got in on this uh, beat generation idea, it became this huge, like, popular phenomenon and so they of course like what companies do they started to create these products that were going to be sold to people who were interested in the beats so that they could emulate being like them so that's kind of like when the the clothing came out that looked like people that were in the beat generation um, so that the normal everyday person who thought these people were really cool could pretend to be one of them. Our subject for today is how to be a beatnik. Some people think the beatnik is merely a bum with sunglasses, but he is more than that, though not much. The first step in becoming a beatnik is to grow a beard. This can be a long process, particularly if you're a girl. Clothing-wise, we should remember this important rule. The well-dressed beatnik is seldom neatnik. People started calling themselves beatniks because that was in the newspaper, and but they weren't really beats. They were, they were kind of like fake, like kind of like I guess how we have fake hipsters today. I guess I don't know. I don't know how all of that works. I'm not very cool. I sit at my in my apartment and and write books and go to school and and. Uh, <laughs> go to work and talk to you guys about vintage things so <laughs> um but basically all these people began to think that the beats were really cool and wanted to be like them and so uh, companies latched onto this and just in general to people outside of the beats uh, the beats seemed to just emit coolness that they were hip and they were cool and the Beats never actually sought to be any of these things. They were just looking for meaning. They wanted to express themselves in a new way and they were against conformity. And I guess if you think about it, the black turtleneck and the beret, those were kind of like, I guess, being a conformist because everyone who wanted to be a beatnik um, 
wore that. And so what I want to do now is I want to actually read you some um, quotes from On the Road. I didn't know anything about On the Road before I researched this. I really didn't know much about the Beat Generation either, other than what my professor, uh, it was a, like a, it was a long time ago, it was like one of those intro history kind of classes, and he talked about the, the Beats, and I never knew there was a difference between the Beats and the Beatniks. And this is where I learned about On the Road, but I never read it. Uh, But I was actually really, like, kind of uh, surprised by it. I think that it is in, it's written like poetry, even though it's prose. And it's just incredibly expressive. Of course, some people might call that cheesy, so, but let me, let me find, I've got some on my phone right now. Let me, let me look at some, some quotes from it. Okay, this one's interesting. It says, The only people for me are the mad ones. The ones who are mad to live, mad to talk, mad to be saved, desirous of everything at the same time, The ones who never yawn or say a commonplace thing, but burn, burn, burn like fabulous yellow Roman candles, exploding like spiders across the stars, and in the middle you see the blue center light pop, and everybody goes, ah. I mean, I I think that's pretty cool. Um, As a writer, of course, I, I appreciate uh, description and the ability to create prose uh, off the cuff like he did but like I said you know the expression this kind of expressionistic I guess if that's a word writing isn't always for everybody here's one too that's interesting it says nothing behind me everything ahead of me as is ever so on the road I wonder if that's the end of his book, if that's what he says at the end. Here's the last one that I'm gonna read you. They have worries. They're counting the miles. They're thinking about where to sleep tonight, how much money for gas, the weather, how they'll get there, and all the time, they'll get there anyway, you see. Yeah, so, so as you can tell from those quotes and the readings that I just did, that this was very much expression-oriented. It was written with a lot of feeling, and that's what the Beat Generation was. It wasn't these beatniks who spoke like this and played the bongos in the coffee shops. (laughs) Um, So, you know, this one was a little bit of a different podcast for me. It wasn't quite as, like, silly or, or, like, goofy, but I wanted to tell you guys the normal culture of the 1950s and then also talk about the, the subculture that was forming. And I think also this is really important because, you know, today we kind of have this hipster movement and then there were the hippies, you know, that went to Woodstock and there was the drug movement and, uh, that started kind of happening in the 60s and 70s. 
And I honestly think that probably a lot of that was coming out of the beat generation and the beats. I think it's, I don't want to say it's all because of them, but they probably ended up making a way like for that. And I, and I do appreciate that they made a way, you know, for art and and literature, you know, but there were also a lot of like, um, drug and alcohol problems like uh, Jack died from cirrhosis of the liver he hemorrhaged and internally because he he drank so much which is which is sad to me but um but anyway so I guess we can kind of thank our hipster generation (laughs) on on the beats but you weren't first hipsters Uh, the beat generation beat you <laughs> yeah I don't I don't have a co-host so I don't have anyone to laugh at that that dumb pun that I just made um <laughs> beat you beat you uh <laughs> that's so dumb uh anyway I I just wanted you guys to know who the first hipsters were and who kind of started this trend and uh, I thank you for listening today. I, I have a, a Twitter page now that I am very involved with. And I love talking to you guys. And I post little quotes and fun facts and pictures. And I like to talk to you guys on there. I love it when people tweet at me. I also love it when people leave me reviews on iTunes. That's really awesome. In fact... Uh, I'm going to start giving some shout outs again for people who leave uh, reviews on iTunes or subscribe to me on on iTunes. Uh, I love all of you guys that do that. It's just so, so wonderful and uh, definitely means that you're not eating the radioactive roast beef, that you're alive and well and enjoying this silly little recording that that I put on, put together for you um, but anyway I would love to talk to you on Twitter and I would love for you to leave a review and hopefully a good review I read all of them <laughs> please be nice thank you so much for listening and uh, don't eat that radioactive roast beef keep listening to Soda Pop Chronicles <laughs> <laughs>